Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Jordan Rothline, and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. Stephen Ford's musical journey is a unique one. Hearing the sensitive, detail-rich electronic productions he's made as Bruno Prinsado, you probably wouldn't guess he used to play drums in a metal band. Encountering the sort of music Perlon was releasing in the early 2000s, though, was an eye-opener for the American producer. He was living in Seattle at the time, and before long, he was devoting practically every moment he wasn't sleeping or working to the studio. Around a decade ago, the music took him to Berlin, where he's lived ever since, and where nearly everyone knows him as Bruno, not Steven. After three albums and well over a dozen EPs as Bruno Prinsado, the producer is striking out on a new musical endeavor called Archangel. Live performance and rock-style song structures are crucial to the project, and though its sound doesn't stray too far from Bruno Prinsado, it's easy to see Archangel as bringing Ford full circle. What better time, then, to have him by our Berlin office to chat about the path that's led him there? You have this new project, Archangel. Right. Tell me a little bit about the music that you're doing under this name and maybe how it's different from the stuff you do as Bruno Pronsato. I kind of, I feel like I kind of at some point, maybe like a year ago, year and a half ago, sort of reached this point where I'm like, I can't do another Bruno Pronsato track. You know, like I, I felt like every track sort of stylistically sort of became the same track to me in, in my mind, you know, whether or not it's true. It's, whatever but I just wasn't satisfied anymore just making like straight dance tracks you know I, I felt like I wanted to do something a little bit more daring you know and I felt like vocals were sort of the next step for that sort of you know to kind of put myself out there and be a little bit more risky you know rather than sort of stay in the sort of safe you know womb of the Bruno Pronsato world I, I felt like I kind of needed something new to be just to sort of like give me a jolt of creativity you know something new to think about in the studio so choosing this new name to be working under I mean in a way it sets this work apart from your old work for people who have been listening to you for years but then it's also kind of for you it sounds like it, it helps you to differentiate what you're doing absolutely absolutely in my mind the the two projects are vastly different but I've heard from just about everybody that it's still Bruno Pronsato, which is which is fine, you know. I mean, okay, there's there's vocals on a four minute Bruno track instead of an eight minute Bruno track with maybe a little bit more of like a pop sound to it. So it it might just be sort of the launching pad for the next step, you know. But I feel like Archangel is definitely like where I'm at right now, you know. Like I really like 
me and a couple of guys are preparing a live show soon, you know, like in the next two or three weeks. And um, it's a totally different world when you have like when vocals are sort of the the main feature of the of the tracks, you know, and and that that to me is really it's a terrifying on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's sort of like you know it's sort of liberating as well to be in this new space and be you know have a little bit of stage fright now and be worried that you're going to screw up, you know. I feel like the Bruno thing is sort of just became like this I don't know sort of like you know this sort of automated thing that I did, you know, and I'm not disinterested in do in doing that because I still love to do that live, but I, I just I think I needed a change too, and if people like it while I change, then that's awesome. You know, it's interesting though, that you feel like you changed more than people who have been giving you feedback. Right. Feel exactly. like, feel yeah. like you changed. I mean, other than the the vocals, mm -hmm. which are very prominent on the new record, where do you hear those changes? Not all of the tracks, but I tried with several of the tracks to sort of have that sort of that pop structure, you know, like, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, whatever, however you want to map it out, but that sort of formula to it. So I tried to, to, to work in, you know, in that environment and it's, it's fun to work in that environment, but it's, you know, it's also pretty much just as predictable as dance music is, you know, on a very basic level, you know? So, I mean, I think going in and like, you know, looking at bands like Roxy Music and Japan and, you know, sort of pop groups that I was sort of inspired by, you know, they have a little bit more of an experimental edge to it, you know. So I, what I hear is just, you know, this sort of difference in the way I'm making tracks, you know, and, and the, the different sounds that I'm using to, to make different prominent sounds in the track that I wouldn't typically use for a Bruno track or a big poppy chorus, you know. And you're also able to draw on a lot of influences that have kind of been lurking around there for a mm -hmm. long time, but are maybe not quite so obvious or, or you're maybe not able to make quite so apparent in the music you were doing as Bruno Prensato. Right. My understanding is that this music is sort of your main love. Like you like electronic music, but sort of this this other stuff, you talk about Roxy music in Japan, like maybe that's a little bit more your street. I think I just sort of hit the sentimental streak. You know, I did this all this Bruno stuff, you know, and I was out of the studio for quite a while because I have two daughters. And when the second daughter came, we just kind of like, I was in the studio, but, you know, being in the studio two or three hours a day doesn't really compare to being in the studio eight hours a day, five days a week, you know, morning to night, you know. I sort of lost that, you know, that, schedule that I had loved doing the Bruno stuff after my second daughter was born. So going back into the studio and kind of trying to find my footing again in the studio, I just started listening to like a lot of the old, you know, like when I couldn't work, I would just start listening to old rock records I liked and et cetera. And it just sort of like rubbed off on me. And then I just thought, you know what, like, I want to do some vocals, you know, I want to, I want to have like a really nice poppy chorus on this thing, you know, it's good to be back in back in that kind of world again, you know, making music and being in the studio and stuff like that again. And in terms of the vocals on this record, mm -hmm. I mean, this is, for the most part, this is you singing. Right. It's it's all me except for one track, which is, um, which I'm doing backing vocals on, mm -hmm. but it's Caro, uh, Randy Jones doing the main vocals on Steal the Groom, which also has Peter Gordon on it. Did you have any experience as a vocalist before doing this? No, I didn't. And I've always, you know, I mean, I've always grown up just knowing that I wanted to be a rock star. You know, since I was a kid, I've always wanted to like, I've never imagined that I would be doing electronic music. I was always the one that wanted to be like on the microphone. But I'm, I'm also very shy. So it's taken this long for me to even attempt to, to do something like that. But I, you know, spent many hours in front of many mirrors, you know. <laughs> You spent many hours in front of many mirrors. I mean, was this 
do you mean this in preparation for doing vocals on on this? I mean, how how did you prepare for, well, for the album? Well, mini mirror, many hours in front of mini mirrors. Speak mainly when I was a kid, you yeah. know, like lip syncing to my I don't know the Stones or Devo or something like that. We've all done this, right? At exactly. Some point. But you know, we've all put in our time. You know, for the new show, I'm just getting the guys. I'm actually just getting the guys together like this week. You know, and my friend Jonathan Levy and I are actually sort of just sketching out the set. And then we're bringing in the keyboard player who also plays keys with Bonaparte and some, he's an amazing jazz musician. And um, so after we get the set sketched out, we're going to go to a rehearsal space, probably like the week before the show. And there I'll practice my vocals and my moves, see what happens. <laughs> it's interesting that you always wanted to be a rock star and you said that you didn't really imagine going into electronic music. I mean, th maybe this is kind of a big question, but how did you end up going to electronic music then? Well, I think to be clear, I think we've all wanted to be a rock star. So, you know, like I, I, that wasn't my goal growing up, you know, as a kid was to be a rock star, you know, you think that's just sort of like the teen dream, you know, of course. but I, I, I played drums in a rock band and metal band and punk band and sort of like an art rock band growing up, you know, and, you know, just kind of relying on band members and stuff like that sort of just became kind of like boring and many, you know, missed opportunities, et cetera, et cetera, when you work with a group of people to be creative, you know. So at some point, I don't know, like in, I'm not sure what year it was, but at some point I just decided I'm going to, you know, get a computer and a couple of machines and see what happens, you know, because I still felt the urge to do music, but I didn't. I had just moved to Seattle actually around that time and I didn't really know any people. I didn't have a drum set and then I just kind of didn't feel like even really exploring having a band. And I just thought, you know what, why don't I just try this computer thing that seemed, people seem to be liking. So just uh, trying that and then listening to other people's computer music and just whatever. That's how I, I think I just sort of got into it that way. It's funny to think about you going from being a drummer in a metal band to making the sort of music that you've done as Bruno Pranzato there's a definite stylistic difference there, right? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely, you know. I do try to keep my hats on the one, though, sometimes, you know. I really try to keep that sort of thing going on. And that's about as close as the Bruno stuff comes to, like, metal music, you know. I mean, besides some of the darkness or something like that, you know. Like, sometimes I want to capture the feeling of, like, a Slayer track or something, you know. Of course, it never happens, but ideally. The experience of, of drumming... I mean, of being a drummer, being in a rock band, playing drums, that kind of rhythmic thing that you would get from that. I mean, did that feel like it was preparation in some way for making club tracks? Yeah, I think if you're a percussionist or whatever, club tracks come, you know, it's pretty easy stuff, you know. I mean, the difficult thing about making club tracks for, for me was finding bass lines, you know, because I'm, my brother was a bass player and he was a sort of a real, you know, he was a real bass snob. Like he didn't listen to bands that didn't have amazing bass players and were twins, identical twins. So I just, I grew up playing drums. He was playing bass and like, he listens, he listened to bands with amazing bass players and I listened to bands with amazing drummers. And we sort of found those bands that, you know, that cooperated with the awesome bass player and the awesome drummer, you know, so. It sounds like coming into electronic music was in, in a lot of ways, sort of a, a reaction to the logistics of being in a band, right. making music electronically, you're you're kind of able to do that on your own schedule, mm -hmm. do it the way that you want. So it wasn't necessarily like a rave experience or something like that. I mean, that's how you hear about a lot of people right. deciding to go into production. Yeah, I was a I was a total late bloomer in the whole electronic thing. Anyway, I I don't think that 
I think the first rave I went to was a rave that I was playing like in Milwaukee or something like that. I mean, and it, and it wasn't even during the heydays. It was like, I don't know, 2003 or something like that, 2004. So I missed all of that, you know. I mean, just because some of my friends had stuff like Richie Houghton, like, you know, like the Plastic Man stuff, I sort of heard that stuff in passing, you know, back when that sort of stuff was coming out. But it didn't really, I liked it, but it didn't, I wasn't, I didn't run out and buy it, you know. As far as dance music goes, it wasn't really until I started, until I heard Panty Tech, the Pony Slay Station record. That really grabbed me because I felt like it was like, it had like this humor to it. It had this darkness to it and it was all wobbly and it had this weird time to it, you know? And, and I was like, wow, I want to, I want to do stuff like that too. And Acufem was coming at, coming out around that. The whole Perlon thing was kind of, you know, it had already been big, but it was kind of really like at this point feeling like it's kind of, you know, really like trendsetting music and super avant-garde stuff. Do you remember about what, what year that was? I'm trying to think when Pony Slay Station came out, because it was the year that that came out, which was 2003, something like that, 2002, 2003. I can't remember exactly. Even people within dance music, I think, were having a kind of similar reaction to that music when it was coming out. It sounded totally different from other stuff. I I can only imagine how sort of mind-blowing that must have been to someone who had no real contact with rave music, dance music, whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was like, what is this? You know, I mean, in some ways it had that sort of like that sort of my bloody valuable. When I first heard loveless, you know, it sort of had that feeling to it, to me, like this sort of like strange, like warbly, like tape drag to it, you know? And I was just like, and then, you know, with the sort of guttural vocals and just craziness, you know, it was just, it was crazy shit, you know, it was awesome. Mm If I'm correct, you were living in Seattle when you were starting to do all of this stuff. Right. Was there much of a scene for it there? No, not at all. Actually, not at all. There was Randy Jones, who does the Caro Project and did the ORAC Records label, had a night called Robo Trash at this place called the Baltic Room there. And it was going good for a while, but it didn't really last long. And it was kind of like, it was kind of at the tail end of the Electro Clash thing. They were kind of into the, you know, Taladisco, Electro Clash thing, but then it was kind of coming into this sort of techno thing. Randy's all over the map and he's a master at all of it, you know, and he was, he just had the night there. And then, so I, I met him because I was making the music then and I sort of met Randy and he was like, I, I found out just being at the club that he did this record label. So I just gave him a demo and Jeff Samuel lived there at the same time. The Robo Trash night was going pretty well. So there was the small scene in the bar and the, the Electro Clash kids, Taladisco kids, a little bit of the up and coming minimal techno thing. And Jeff Samuel lived there around that time. So that was pretty much the small circle of people there. I think they knew each other. I was a newcomer. Like I said, I mean, I was new to everything then. So I think they all knew each other, but yeah. What did you think about Berlin at that time? That's where so much of this music was happening. And you're kind of like on the other side of the world from here. Right. I didn't really think about what... I just remember thinking, you know, because Seattle's such a huge indie rock scene. I obviously like that music as well. I just remember thinking like, why... Why don't people play like cool music like this in Seattle? But I didn't really... I didn't. I wasn't like researching and thinking about Berlin having a scene or, or anything like that, you know? It wasn't until like I started, you know, after the Panty Tech thing happened and I started paying attention to Perlon that I really put two and two together that this is like coming from Berlin, you know. And around that same time, I had sent a demo to the guys at Philpot, Michelle Bauman, and he, we, I did a couple of EPs with him and he had a night at Panorama Bar 
So it wasn't really until he invited me to come out and play this panorama bar night that I, that I thought like, wow, this is like, this is cool. But I never really thought about like Berlin versus Seattle. I just sort of thought that it probably sucked everywhere. You know, like there wasn't that many people into it. Then of course, when you come to Berlin, you realize it's like a techno amusement park, you know, it's insane. <laughs> you had spent a little bit of time in Berlin or at least in Germany when you were playing in rock bands, right? Uh, my parents were in the military, so I lived in Wiesbaden in the mid '80s to like the to like '90s, early '90s. So I'd been in Wiesbaden, you know, and I'd I'd played in punk rock bands there, and mainly just played around with friends and stuff there. I wasn't like I wasn't like in a prominent punk band playing in in Germany at the time. I was just I was 16, 17, around that time, just playing, you know, playing punk. It wasn't really traveling around and stuff like that. I mean, we may have had a couple of small gigs or something like that here, but nothing too huge. Berlin must have seemed pretty different than Wiesbaden, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I left Wiesbaden when I was like 18. And then I came to Berlin to play for the first time. I was 31 or 32. 31, I think, was when I came here and played the first time with, with, the, with the Philpot night. I mean, I'd been to Germany a couple of times to visit friends, but it had been in, you know, Frankfurt area, Wiesbaden area. So it was actually when I came to play, I think it was the first time I'd actually been in Berlin. Let's talk then about Berlin as mm -hmm. the techno playground right. or something. And, uh -huh. and especially as like kind of a late bloomer, someone mm -hmm. who's getting into it then. Right. I mean, did you feel like you were in heaven or something? I think what struck me the, the most about being in Berlin, it wasn't really the party thing. It's, you know, I had been communicating with Zip for a couple of years, sending him tracks and just kind of talking here and there, you know, it was back when you actually sent, you know, demos of CD and stuff like that. So I kind of, I kind of knew Zip. I hadn't met Sammy yet. And then when I came to Berlin, Sammy D and I just started like hanging out. We actually became like really cool friends. So, so I was more struck by like how friendly those guys were when I, particularly Sammy, how welcome he was, you know, immediately like hooking me up with trying to help me find a flat, trying to do this. And then, you know, suddenly we were in the studio making this half Hawaii record. I mean, obviously coming from anywhere in the U.S., coming to Berlin and, you know, shit's open 24 hours a day. I mean, minus supermarkets and stuff, you know, stuff like that. But I mean, just parties are just going on here all the time. So, I mean, I was like, wow. But I think I was more struck with just like, you know, how cool the people were and like, you know, immediately getting in the studio with Sammy. When I moved here, we immediately started working on the half Hawaii stuff. We just met and that was just super, super fun, you know, doing that. And then, you know, the nights, you know, the nights were great after that, you know, going to going to Club Divisionaire and hanging out. And Sammy, you know, back then, Sammy and Zip and those guys, it seems like they were playing like every other night or something there, you know. It's, it seems almost like the sort of cooler thing than kind of walking into this city where all of this music is happening is discovering that it's actually like a very friendly kind of small little world that, Absolutely. that was easy to get involved Absolutely, in. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, particularly then, you know, I mean, and I, I hate to be the guy that's the old man talking about Berlin, whatever, but then, you know, it was definitely smaller and there wasn't so many groups and record labels and DJ teams and all that stuff. It kind of like, there was definitely like some sort of like, you know, the, every, everyone seemed to be connected in some way, you know, and I don't think people are disconnected now because they disapprove of each other. I just think that there's just so much going on that it's hard to be as connected as it was, but even still in Berlin, I still feel Feel like it's you know as connected you know i mean it's still people are still very well in tune with what other people are doing i mean there's no i mean at least i don't find that there's really much drama at all in this music world in berlin and i haven't really felt like i've ever seen it could be wrong but 
you know, whereas other scenes like in Seattle, I mean, God, there was always some kind of drama going on in the indie world, you know. When did you finally decide to make the move over here? I don't remember the exact year anymore, 2004 or something like that. But um, I was just working a regular day job, you know, I was working at this place, basically affiliated with real networks, like doing kind of distribution stuff. I was working with, with Warner Digital and stuff like that. I wound up coming to to actually Berlin and Europe, just playing shows quite a bit. And it, it got to a point where my job was really cool about it. I would take off maybe every two months, I would take off like two weeks, you know, and do like six or seven shows in two weeks. And then it just got to a point where around this time that I was just playing, like I had too many requests for shows that I didn't want to want to give up. So I just decided, okay, well, this is going to be a pretty big risk, but I, why not? You know, and it, it's, it's worked out so far. I guess for quite a while now, like you've been a working musician, a working producer. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like from something you said earlier, like you, you tend to have kind of a pretty regimented studio schedule. How was that kind of making the the transition from having a day job, coming over to play gigs to sort of suddenly being someone who's making music full stop? Right. It was a big change because in the U.S. I would get up like at five o'clock in the morning and I would work for like two or three hours and then I would catch the bus to work. Then I would come home from work, take a nap for like an hour, and then I would get up and work till midnight or whatever and just repeat that. So I was, so I had kind of like my studio time there, but then I had this full day. So then coming here and like getting up at five thirty or six o'clock in the morning and then work straight to like one o'clock, you're just like wiped out, you know? So it's, it was, it was nice coming here. And I had all this, obviously all this, like, you know, all this energy to make music because there's all this great music. You're surrounded by great music and you're out with hearing great music and you're with really incredible people. And, you know, so you're, you know, the energy level is super high. So, well, it sounds like the way that you were doing things before you would have gotten up every morning and worked on music for a while, then gone to work and done work right. and then come home and worked on music and, right. and then gotten like five hours of sleep right. or, or something like that. Yeah. Five, four or five hours of sleep I was getting. It sounds like one big difference with somebody who's making music in the States versus being someone who's making music in Berlin is you can actually have a life beyond work. Absolutely. Yeah. Does I that, mean, that must make a big difference. With, it makes with a the huge music. difference. Yeah. It makes a huge difference for the music. Cause then you don't feel like, you know, when you have this very regimented time frame, you're, you're, you feel like, God, I really need to do something. I need to do something in this two hours before I have to catch the bus to go to work or whatever. Or I, I had to stay late at work. So I only get two hours to work tonight. Like, you know, so you really try to squeeze in all this, all this inspiration into like two hours and try to get as much of it out of it as you can, you know? The name Bruno Prensato, since you've been making electronic music, have you always been making it under this name? Yes. I mean, I've, I did another project very, when I first, 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 first started, I did this demo as Bobby Karate, which I hope has disappeared, from, <laughs> disappeared. But yeah, I did that. When I did the ORAC record, Randy Jones sort of guided me through the, you know, he was a dance music guy from way back. You know, he, he knew his, he knew his stuff. You know, he sort of guided me with like arranging techno and how techno was arranged. So I, I sort of had these tracks that I were working on. They were, they were techno tracks, but Ryan, you'd be like, mm, these tracks, you know, I, I like the sounds. You're really, you know, you're really good with this sound or that sound, but you really got to, you want it to be a techno track. You really got to do this arrangement or that kind of thing to it. So he sort of like, you know, taught me this, this sort of like techno thing. After he had sort of guided me through the whole process of 
the techno thing. He was like, so what are we going to call this record? And I was like, should we call it Stephen Ford? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, that might be kind of a boring to the American crowd. Cause back then people were still actually buying records in the U S you know, and Stephen Ford's pretty boring. I was married at the time and my wife's my then wife's brother's name was Bruno Pronsado and I'd always liked the name and I'd always thought it sounded kind of nice. I never thought that anything would happen with the record. I just, I, my friend in Seattle wanted to put out a, a record for me. And so I just thought, fuck it, I'll just call it Bruno Pronsado, you know? It was interesting when, when you walked in today and you introduced yourself, you said like, hi, I'm, I'm Bruno. Right. And, you know, I know that that's, that's your artist's name. That's not right. your real name, but has it sort of become how you're known to people. It absolutely has. And I mean, and I think it has a lot to do with Sammy D because uh, when I first came here, he just, a lot of people, they, they just assume that my name is Bruno too. They don't, they don't know that it's, which is fine. You know, I don't expect people to know that I have two names. I mean, whatever. Well, it's a similar thing with, you know, Sammy D who's just right. Sammy to everybody. <laughs> right, right, know? exactly. Yeah. And he doesn't, he doesn't correct them either, you know? So yeah. it's sort of like, you can go through the whole process of meeting someone and, and if they know you as Bruno, you can be like, oh, by the way, my name's Steven. Then it's just, you know, it kind of, it's pointless really, actually, because I'm just, I've sort of grew into this Bruno person, you know, being in Berlin. Do you feel like there is a place where like Bruno Pronsado ends and you know, Stephen Ford begins or the, or the other <laughs> I way I wish, I wish it was that. I wish I could do something like that. No, I think when I'm home with my brother and my mom and stuff like that, it's, it's Steven, you know? Mm -hmm. It feels weird when people, when I'm in Berlin and people call me Steven though, actually I ran into a friend of mine from a long time ago when I was in Wiesbaden actually, and I was just walking down the street and I hadn't seen her in like, I don't know, 15 years or something. And she was like, Steven, Steven. And I just, because I'm in Berlin, I just turn off that name, you know? And she actually had to come up and grab me and she's like, you're Steven, right? And I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like, oh my God, it was a friend that I hadn't seen in a long time. And I was like, I'm sorry. I just, I don't answer to that name anymore. <laughs> That's pretty funny. If if the whole idea of kind of creating a, a pseudonym or, or having like a moniker that you use uh, as an artist is to put a little bit of separation between you and the person making the music, to have those things merge, maybe that's another reason why you would choose to start making music as Archangel. Right. Archangel. I mean, it's, there's something to be said for that for sure. I mean, when you change monikers, I think it's just it's just how you you know you you don't want to be stuck in the mold of Bruno Pronsado anymore or or whoever, you know, like you feel like as an artist, you feel like if you give yourself a new name, then you kind of have a new, fresh new canvas, you know, this whole new identity, you know, musically and personally speaking, you know, you have this whole new world in front of you and you're not sort of locked into this old world that you've created for yourself. I mean, I guess in some ways you are obviously going to be, you know, the same person that you've always been, but you can, you know, create this another personality, you know, it's like this nice musical schizophrenia or whatever. Speaking about Archangel again, you're performing now with a band. Mm -hmm. I mean, previously, when you had played live, this was you and some gear and a computer and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Have you started rehearsals yet for this thing? Do you know how this process is going to go? We have started rehearsals. I'm, I'm like, right now we're just sort of in the sketch phase because I've doing this project live, I don't want it to be the rock style where we go and we just duplicate the songs live exactly how they are on the record. I think that's one thing I love about dance music is like, especially with live acts is how they sort of kind of do different versions of their tracks live, you know? So I'm kind of going with that approach with the live thing. So we've actually begun sketching out 
the way we want the you know the the set to flow and i want to stop in between songs too because i don't i've done for so many years one hour and then split you know like i really want to stop in between songs and just sort of have that fresh start over feeling you know do electronics still play a pretty big role in the live show you're putting together absolutely yeah we're still i mean we're gonna bring out the yo Mox 888 the little drum machine and the and the m bass and we'll have a like a nord g2 there and then also we'll have ableton we'd plan to do it without a computer everything but the time constraints and trying to get everything ready for the show has just been it's been really short i forgot i was had a holiday for a week and that sort of just like threw a curveball so Basically, the rehearsals have pretty much begun, but I, I think the crunch time will probably like like everything I do be like probably the three or four days before the show. A big part of why you had you know kind of gotten into doing electronic music was to be able to do things mostly yourself on your own schedule. I was wondering without, when that was going to come <laughs> without without the whims mm-hmm. of. Uh, of other people's uh, tastes and mm-hmm. schedules and all these right. other things. Does it feel different this time? It does feel different this time. And I think the reason it's different this time is because the music is pretty much mine for this, this setup. And these guys are all like amazing jazz musicians. I mean, they're like hardcore. They're incredible. They're my tracks, you know? And so they're, so the, the fundamentals of what I want to happen are there. And then they'll just do what whatever magic they want on top. So it's, to, it's, it's different because it's everything from the drums to the bass lines to the keyboard parts have all been written by me. So I'm, I'm not, I don't feel constrained by those guys because they're not really part of the, the writing process. They're going to add incredible stuff to it, stuff that I could have never envisioned, I'm sure, way better than what I could have done. So it's for me, it's like an absolute pleasure rather than a hindrance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now you, you really do get to be the, the band leader. Right, exactly. The conductor. Yeah, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Something you mentioned earlier, too, I I thought was interesting. You said that kind of when you were getting into the material, that the Archangel material and and working on that stuff, it kind of came during a period when your uh, schedule was having to change a bit. You had two daughters. Right. And uh, I'm curious about sort of beyond just having a little bit less time, how that influences your creative life. I think, you know, because I've been so schedule driven my whole life, really like when I had my first daughter and I didn't have those like five o'clock and six o'clock or even seven o'clock morning sessions till noon and then my, my drinks, then a nap, I wake up and work again. It was really like, it was hard for me to recover from, it was hard for me to say, okay, today I can, I can only work three hours in the studio because I've worked so long on a schedule and I'm really kind of like an old man when it comes to schedule, you know, I'm a real bastard about it. It was really hard for me just to use whatever time I could to work. And I sort of fumbled about for my first daughter. It was a year before I, I was in the studio a lot and doing live shows and whatever, but I wasn't like creating anything that I felt was a direction that was needed to be a a record or an EP, you know? So just the schedule changes with just in general have been really sort of debilitating. But now after like two and a half years, I feel like I've, at whatever time has allotted me in the studio, I can, I've finally given up on the hope of ever getting my old schedule back. And now I pretty much make do with what I have. My second daughter is, you know, in preschool or daycare or whatever. I have a lot more time to 
to be in the studio, but then I'm, I'm sharing a studio with, with someone. So, so my, my time is limited in the morning. So I have a little bit of time in the morning and then he comes in the afternoon. And then at, if I need to be there at night or if he needs to be, we can work something out. Yeah. I wonder what the schedule really, really brought to it. Is it just the sort of pressure of like, you know, okay, it's starting time. I have to begin mm-hmm. when you don't have that fixed starting time. Is it just harder to get going or something? It is. It's, it's harder because, you know, like, I just know waking up, I sort of like to not be disturbed by any sort of outside forces when I when I was living by living on the schedule. I really like to just get up and like, you know, like check some emails and then just sort of directly get into what I needed to get into, you know, sort of start from what I'd left off on the day before or the night before. When I disconnected in the old days, you know, I had those those fresh thoughts of like what needed to happen the next morning. Like, uh, you know, I could think about the track or whatever, and I could just be like, okay, tomorrow maybe I want to do this or I need to do that or whatever. And then I would wake up and that would still be fresh in my mind. And then I knew what I needed to do the next day. But then when your schedules start getting like out of whack, sometimes I'll even forget like what I had worked on, you know, and you know what I mean? So you become really disconnected from rather than keeping an idea fresh and keeping this sort of momentum going with me, at least being disconnected for a day or only having an hour or two the next day. And then you open this track and being like, oh, you know, like, where was I going with this thing? You know? Well, and you might not even know when the next day is going to come. Absolutely. Like, like, then it becomes an issue of, okay, where do I end? Where actually is a good exactly. point for this? Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. Now I think when I'm in this, when I'm in the studio, like, especially now that I'm kind of like, I'm still doing dance music, obviously, but I'm now that I'm trying to do like more sort of like stuff with vocals and try to make stuff a little bit more strange, maybe, you know, it's easier sort of to come back into these, into these sort of like songs than it is for me to come back into a dance track. Cause these dance tracks, I sort of felt like I always needed to, I wanted to keep something very simple and I wanted it to evolve over a certain amount of time, you know, and that's just pretty impossible when you can't, or at least for me, it's impossible just to disconnect for so long and come back and then reconnect and disconnect and reconnect. It doesn't really work with, with vocals. At least you have a nice vocal line or a bass line or something like that, you know, that's, that's, that are, that are tied to one another and you can sort of build from that. So I feel like it's a little bit easier with this, this kind of music, at least to disconnect and reconnect again, I think. Have you already begun working on more Archangel material? I kind of have. My friend Jonathan Levy and I are working on this sort of like suite in six parts. And it's going to span from like, we're trying to do like a little, he's a jazz musician. So he brings all this incredible jazz knowledge to the table. And also the guy that's playing keyboards with me in the live band, this guy, Uri. He's also an amazing pianist, jazz pianist. So we've all been kind of working on this little suite. But in between the suite, we're trying to like cover like, you know, a jazz genre, like a sort of like orchestral thing, like a sort of solo piano thing, like all in one little piece. But in the there's a couple of pieces in the middle where we're doing this sort of archangel mm. kind of stuff. And I've definitely been, you know, writing stuff down for lyrics and stuff like that for new stuff. Well, this whole suite idea strikes me as being something that I can tell you like from your work. Um, oh, I love it. Yeah. I mean, many, you know, a few years back, mm-hmm. you did a, a, a rather long electronic piece. It was the, the makeup, the breakup. Right, right. right yeah. And right. there's this kind of a line going through your work mm-hmm. of trying to expand outward a little bit. I mean, have you thought about this at all as something that's especially attractive to you? I, I think it's, it's just attractive to me to keep something, just to keep a theme throughout a piece of music over an extended period of time, because it's really difficult to keep something like that very interesting, you know? 
And the new thing that I'm working on with with Jonathan and Yuri is just it's more like um, it's more like different styles, but all still somehow connected, you know, thematically, you know. Whereas like the makeup breakup had its moments; it didn't really stray very much from the sound of the track. The sound was you know was made with with one little patch and Maxim SP, you know, sort of generating these sort of like I don't know whatever these things it sort of stayed on its path you know the baseline changed a couple of times and stuff but but it was a lot of work to get that thing to evolve over a certain amount of time i mean nico's vocals obviously made it made the most magic and sort of made it glued it all together with the new suite that we're working on it's really i want you know we want it we want it to sort of like kind of like touch on some more classic genres of music but it's obviously it's still going to have this this Bruno thing to it because you know I'm producing it and we're we're working on it musically together so it's still got all the the stuff that people may like or dislike about my music to it but it's really fun I do I do now that you mentioned it and I've never really thought about those two pieces connected but I guess somehow it does that does make sense yeah you mentioned that a big influence for Archangel was these kind of records from the 80s these kind of pop records and right. rock records mm-hmm. and it sounds like this next project is quite influenced by classical music or orchestral music. Do you spend a lot of time listening to that stuff as well? I spend a lot of time listening to classical music and jazz. I'm not like super knowledgeable about it. I mean, I know all the basics, all the stuff that I need to know about that kind of, about classical and jazz. And and Jonathan's, of course, uh, updating me and educating me every day in the process of what I should be listening to. But yeah, I love that. I love it. Aside from those... 80s records, I think all we listen to in my house is my girlfriend is a singer and she studied classical singing. So she's a big fan of opera. And Is there a style of music that you'd really like to get deeper into as a listener? Yeah, country music. I'm really, really into like, I mean, I'm from Texas. So I, mean, I was born in Texas, so I should be more aware of that sort of stuff. I grew up on a lot of Willie Nelson and I've been really getting into like, my friend Kenneth James Gibson, Appendix Shuffle, he's a country fanatic. So when I'm feeling like I'm in a country mood, I'll just like, he's, he recently just turned me on to these three amazing Willie Nelson records of uh, The Redheaded Stranger, Phases and Stages, and Shotgun Willie. And I just, when I was in Austin about a month ago, of course, you can find all that stuff on vinyl, like immediately over here it's a little in berlin it's 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 difficult it can be done but it's difficult so i was just there and i was like okay now's the time so i got those i got those records but i would like to get into it more i don't have much time to like really focus on getting into a whole new genre of music right now but but ken has sent me like a, a you know a short list of things that I, that are necessary. So, and what is it about country? I mean, is it the way the songs are written? Is it the production aesthetic? Is it a little bit of everything? I think it's everything. I think it's everything, especially with Willie Nelson, because his production style, sort of, at least over the three records that I have, I can't speak for. I'm definitely not like an expert on Willie Nelson, but over the records I have, this the you know the style sort of. I mean, Shotgun Willie's got this sort of like '70s like horn funk thing going on, like the first track, and then the rest of the record is like this sort of outlaw country weirdness you know what attracts me especially to willie nelson is you know he did like phases and stages and, and redheaded stranger you know those are those are concept albums you know these are this is not like nashville like pretty girls and you know singing about dogs and i mean it's you know i mean the content and the stories are kind of similar but you know the fact that he sort of put the effort into making these albums tell a story is pretty it's, it's pretty advanced for what we would believe to be country music i think <laughs> yeah i'd like to hear 
sort of your aesthetic merged with songs about, you know, shotguns and drinking beers. My brother and I have seriously thought about doing like a modern version of the Redheaded Stranger album. Because they're really short, they're really short songs. They're like two, three minute songs. So, I mean, who knows? <laughs> who knows? If I get some time with my brother, we might make the Willie album cover. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Bye.